0: This podcast is a member of the Blueberry Network. Blueberry. That's blueberry dot com. Blueberry, with no e's. Remember, you drop the e's.
1: Welcome to Books Boys live from the Grand Library. The Dean
0: and
1: DJ. He's PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean and we are the Books Boys. The Books Boys, the one and only this is the books boys show get it oh, Buy yeah.
2: it? books books dean what are books i, I think well, you explained it last time but I, I i've been having some difficulty going to the supermarket and they are just saying like it's paper and pens and they just but i they just give you
1: toilet paper and stuff what what are books exactly we had some confusion about this Peter. yeah and i tried to explain to everyone what books were and yeah. we have had We've only done one episode. We've had hundreds of uh, listener complaints, PJ. Hundreds yeah, just, of more people they, complained than well even they, heard
2: the show. Well, they just they just don't know what it is, Dean. You know, they thought they, it
1: was they, something on the Twitters.
2: Well, they thought it was something, yeah. They, they, they thought it was something for the old PlayStation PlayStation X or no, or whatever it is, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. they didn't they didn't know. They didn't know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, maybe it's an app, or I, I don't know. Maybe it's in the clouds. But okay. people yeah. didn't know what the books were, so... I, we can start, but I thought, look, I'd rather, I'm going to give you two choices. Either we can okay. talk about the books we've been reading, um, okay. you know, and that's nice, or maybe we can inform people by doing a historical books podcast where we talk about the invention of the printing press, you know, how to make their own papyrus, uh, that kind of thing. Which oh, do you wow. think would be more entertaining to the listeners? Well
2: It's hard to tell, but let's go with the books that we've read, and then maybe
1: okay. we can more or less intuitively stand what a book actually is. Fair enough. Well, uh, we do have some news. We put out one episode and right. so far we are the highest rated Books Boys podcast. So no. of all the podcasts that are called Books Boys, we are sure. the highest rated. Um, but we do have a close rival. The literature lads are hot on our tails. So are right, The literature say, lads are at it again. I've, t- at I've, it again. Told, I've told them to take it
2: easy, you know, that they don't want to be, they don't want to get too competitive with us. Those literary lads, yeah.
1: That's the it. They're at it. But, you know, we're going to put out some good content and we're going to we're going to do it. So, PJ, what have you been reading this month?
2: Um, I've been reading this month Don Quixote de la Mancha, the classic Spanish novel from um, Miguel de Cervantes. So, as you know, it's been written between 1605 and 1615, published between those 10 years. And it's basically considered um, one of the most important novels in the world. Some think it's the most important novel in the world, and some think it's the first proper modern novel in the world. So there's been novels before, but it's been, it's a proper modern novel, uh, first one. So um, yeah, uh, what can I say about it? Um, I'm really enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet, but what I like about Don Quixote is basically it's about a it's about a man. You know, he's not he's not the youngest sprout. And he regrets this. You know, he didn't marry. He's kind of living with his niece for some reason, unexplained, why he's living with the old niece and a housemate, I think. And he's just spending all his days reading, as proper lads do, novels. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so he'd be the kind of man who'd really appreciate books, boys, and would have maybe a good answer to what a book is. Um, but it's very funny because the way he's described is he doesn't really read great literature. He kind of reads trash literature is what I'm, what's implied that.
1: Fifty Shades of
2: Grey, yeah. The equivalent, basically, in the 17th century, yeah. Fifty Shades of Armor, more than likely, yes. And basically, it's just like, they're just in romances about knights, like saving damsels in distress and like, you know, killing dragons and all kinds of nonsense. And he gets very inspired by this. It becomes his life. And then one day he just decides, actually, you know what? I am also going to make this kind of story, this, this basically this um, knight saving damsel story into reality. And he just gets out some old armor from his ancestors, just puts it on. It's all rusty and, and, and crap, and he just goes on on his horse, and just rides the rides the land of Spain. So um, that's basically the premise. And uh, when
1: when was this book from?
2: Oh, a time period. So it isn't a historical. Well, it wasn't a historical novel at that time. So that's the whole irony of it. The, the story. So it's it's the it's obviously the. Late 16th century, early 17th century, so it's modern. But basically, the t- the guy Don Quixote is not living in the present. He's living in medieval Spain, and that's long and gone and finished and outmoded. Us. But he doesn't want to let go of that reality. He just wants to live in that fictional world of medieval Spain. It's a tragic comedy, basically. It's vice- it's basically because everyone around him knows he's a madman, and everyone around him just thinks he's crazy, except his one and true friend Sancho Panza, because basically that's the only one who believes in him and he kind of goes around uh, helping Don Quixote in his missions thinking that someday he might become a prince. And the whole irony is, of course, that he would never become a prince and Don Quixote would never be a, a knight, per se. But with the power, this is what I love about the book, with the power of imagination, they believe that what happens to them, they interpret as, as, as reality. So they think, like they at the beginning, they attack these windmills so Don Quixote attacks these windmills, thinking that they're giants, and he believes them, and like he believes the story. He actually believes that he's living the the life of knights and princesses and and giants and dragons. And but at the same time, it's always done in a comedic and sad way. There's some, there's some kind of theme of mental illness like going on. I feel like in the background, that's what makes it so modern. It's not anymore just adventure story. It's it's a story about how literature can. For the good and for the bad, to take your life uh, and out of control, and it's you can see it as really pessimistic, or you can see it as really enlightening. That out of his boring life, out of his twilight he- years, he manages to become a, a prince and knight in his own little world. So that's what Don Quixote is for, for me. and I think it's brilliant.
1: And it's as far as I know, sir, it's the uh, best-selling book of all time, right?
2: I I read that somewhere as well. Like I read somewhere, I think in Spain, it's the best-selling novel book after the bible yeah
1: so, yeah.
2: so there apart it from
1: apart from the bible it is i believe worldwide the best-selling book of all time
2: best-selling and, novel
1: sort of fictional novel anyway exactly yeah
2: and yeah and basically as i just said there were novels before that but there was never this um profoundness of of like modern themes in modern a sense of like loss and identity crisis and stuff that they didn't talk in little adventure novels like old men becoming sad and trying to save their their years trying to regain them and damsels that are not, not necessarily beautiful but they might be a bit ugly but they still want love and and their horses are not so elegant and and there are obese man and sick man and it's all very it's it's a, for the first time it's reality basically
1: and this is essentially the archetype for that pittoresque adventure novel the kind of thing that dickens copied in the pickwick papers for example that classic story
2: exactly and you know more about that because you're you're the big fan of dumas for example and the three musketeers and in some sense i think it also influences um uh future adventure books that are more like all the adventure books come afterwards that are not just about adventures but it's more like the inner traveling of a man mm-hmm. so i feel like that's what that's what Don Quixote managed uh, to do, and uh, and Cervantes. I also want to add, actually, that Cervantes was a bit of a—he he lacked confidence. Like I'm reading a bit about his life, and I find it interesting that he seemed to lack confidence in his writing. Is the impression I get, even though some might disagree, because he was uh, basically—he was friends with Lope de Vega, so they basically did another classic. He was considered at the time a better writer. And he, and this guy Lope de Vega actually said that Donkey Hunter was trash. And wow. it was, must have been very per- painful because like he obviously must have invested so much time, like I said, ten years of publishing, over seven hundred pages, and just it was just called trash by his once one of his one one of his once best friends. And I think it must have been a, a hard journey to write this novel and to have the confidence that someday this will be appreciated. Because it was mm-hmm. so different for at the time. No, this novel's very long, yeah. It, it's very long, yeah. It's 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 on it's on par with uh, you know the agriculture manual by Leo Tolstoy, mm-hmm. also known as Anna Karenina. I'm not sure if you read it.
1: It's. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember Anna Karenina. I do remember uh, 700 pages of agriculture, though. Maybe well, there was a story in the side about a girl. I, I don't
2: is, It's kind of more like the side stories that Leo Tolstoy wrote when he was feeling bored. It was agriculture. He just wrote a little love story and then just incorporate yeah. it into that book. I guess,
1: you know, every every farming manual needs a love story. It's like in Hollywood. they got a shoehorn and a love story in everywhere, you
2: know? Well, that's right, then That's right. But anyway, that's all I want to say about Don Quixote. I don't even want to talk about the story that much, but partially just because I'm still very much the beginning, to be honest. But it's already, like, um, there's already something, tragic comedy about something. Like, it did make me laugh out loud. It's kind of unusual, I find, with old novels, just because I feel like the humor gets lost in translation. But like just like I don't know like Aristophanes for example like the real classic comedy or Shakespeare comedy is funny and this is funny while also being
1: really sad actually if mm-hmm. you just look behind that comedy. So that's what I'm oh, say. I really recommend uh, it. By the way, I have a feedback. Uh, one of the books that you mentioned last time, um, Yeah, Hundred Years of Solitude. Turns out that is my girlfriend's favorite book. So. Is it? I'm delighted. I yeah. Found out afterwards, when she listened to the show, yeah.
2: Well, well, you know, uh, it is basically a, a novel about Latin America and and so much more than that. But I feel like I, I can just I have never been to Latin America, but it's just I really recommend you read it so you can get that sense of history of how a Latin American village started or like the or like the prototype Macondo, mm-hmm. and how it evolved and how it was abused and how it died and how it also like faded out of memory and in and out. So it's, yeah. I'm glad she she mentioned it. I'm glad she likes the book. It's a sweet novel.
1: Well, what have I been reading this month? Uh, Quite a lot. I've been a a busy beaver this month. I've read three complete novels. Um, The first is Candide and Other Works by Voltaire. Mm. Now, technically, I suppose you could say this one's not a novel. It's essentially four short stories or four novellas. Okay. Um, Voltaire, of course, didn't really write novels. He did some essays, some philosophy, some short stories. Uh-huh. Um, what we effectively have here is four stories. Zadig, Candide, the Ingenue, and Nanim. Now, I'm not going to go into them all in detail, but Candide is the, the famous one. Uh-huh. And it's also called Optimism. It, uh-huh. it, it's the best. It's essentially a short work. These are only about 70 pages each. And it's just um, this character, Candide going around being incredibly optimistic in the face of any hardship that he comes across. And he was told by his, you know, local village philosophy teacher, you know, always to keep this positive outlook and they get into worse and worse scrapes while he continues to just, you know, but I, it's all for the good because that's what I was taught. But he doesn't question that until near the end. He just sticks with, I was told everything works out for the best and, and that's it.
2: Okay. Okay. Interesting and it's based on uh, the the german philosopher uh well not <clears throat> uh, at least the place where germany would become germany it wasn't germany at the time mm-hmm. uh leibniz right the it's based on leibniz leibnizian optimism
1: yes leibnizian
2: optimistic philosophy Can you tell us more about that exactly because i don't know that much about leibniz uh, philosophy to be honest uh, the only
1: stuff i remember from Leibniz in university was the famous Leibniz's law. So that Mm. was the um, identically equals. That's where we get that, the triple equals line, like is identically equal to. So that's this idea that uh, you only persist in your personal identity over a period of time if you're identically equal and therefore you have every trait. So, for example, me 10 years ago, I'm not exactly the same as I am now, therefore you know, we, we cannot necessarily prove identity. We're not identity right, to be equal. Um, but I'm not so familiar with his stuff on optimism.
2: But as far as I know, um, that's an interesting thought, but as far as, far as I know, he, he did believe that this world, ex- so he, he tried to prove the existence of God by saying that, um, the existence of evil and God, by saying that, yes, this might be a not so good world as you may think, but actually, practically, this is the best of
1: all possible worlds. That was his idea, I think. Of course, yes. The possible about. worlds theory, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's something that still holds true today because people say, oh, but why are there evil in the world and why is it this and that? And you say, yeah, but, you know, other po- the other possibilities might have been worse. Yeah, like, yeah. It could it's, be realistically the best that we can get if because it doesn't exist, you know. And free will and all. So that's the whole kind of free will
2: versus determinism. Yeah. Basically, it's better to have the free will and the person decides to do something, even though it
1: might become evil. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and once you factor that in, you know, maybe we are the best of all possible worlds. But I don't know if I'm buying that. Yeah, it's... no,
2: I I don't really buy that either. And Voltaire definitely is kind of telling Leibniz to you know
1: f off basically. Yeah. It's, there's it's, one it's... thing, of course, that I do buy, the reason this is the best of all possible worlds is because it exists. So that's yeah, that's okay. a critique. Like if existence is part of perfection, then we are the best simply because we do exist. You know. Right. right okay. Okay. That could but, be actually right. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna focus too much on Voltaire because it was my okay. le- my least favorite of the three books I read. Candide right. was good, but the rest wasn't really Zadig okay. was very boring. The Ingenue was quite funny because they basically take someone from abroad, you know, what they consider a kind of savage, and they try right. to educate him into um you know, English religion or right. or Western sort of religion. But, of course, he's reading the Bible and he's saying, well, the things you're telling me to do, these aren't in your Bible. And, you know, so he, got, he wants to get baptized in a lake like Jesus and they want to do it, you know, in a church and all this oh, kind of stuff. So it's basically just the ultimate social critique, basically. Like the whole it's, a, book it's a critique generally. on religion, but in a very humorous way. And religion, okay, cool. The and second what... book I read um, was I finally finished my roundup of the Brontes and oh. I read Villette by Charlotte Bronte. Cool. Now, yeah. I have to make an addendum on what I said last week. I said hmm. that I wasn't sure Charlotte was the best. I really liked Anne's writings. And while that's still true, having read Villette, I think this book is the best of all the Bronte books.
2: Oh, Lord. Well, and why? Added, I...
1: Obviously, that Charlotte wrote Jane Eyre. I think that yeah. that bumps her back up on top. Okay. And Villette, I know nothing about Villette. So what makes it so special? In, like. Well, please, yeah. So, basically, it's your it's a, it's a young girl. I don't uh-huh. want to give too many spoilers, but to yeah. kind of cover the early parts of the novel, she goes to work in a little school in, uh, in Paris. Uh-huh. And she takes on a job there as a, as a teacher of English. Uh-huh. And, obviously, she gets, you know, relationships with other people. I mentioned in the last episode that certain elements of this are taken from her unpublished work, The Professor... And of course, there is a professor in the book and her relationship with him. It's kind of it's kind of poorly written in one sense, which is about a third of the way through the book. They start Hmm. calling him the professor and they didn't call him that at the beginning. So I think she's just shoehorning in her other novel, you know. But to be honest, I I let her off with that because it's a really, really, really enjoyable story. There is. Yes, there's some love stories, but it's just it's this romantic kind of Paris that she's in. And she's just, you know, teaching the Brontes love their kind of governess tales, you know, about mm. um, young girls trying to, you know, teach in private houses. But it was nice to see it done in an actual school setting. And you, you get to see her relationship with the other um, pupils there as well. And mm. um, she's quite shy, so she's afraid of maybe even some of the other teachers. But it, it all has a nice ending. It's very, very good. Um I would really, really recommend anyone who's interested in the Brontes, maybe they've read Jane Eyre or Wuthering Heights or something like that, and they thought, you know, that's all there is. This is the one to read. I think it is the best one. And as a result of that, I'm going to officially crown Charlotte, the Queen of the Brontes. Okay. Congratulations, Charlotte. Well,
2: so you're not giving even Emily Bronte, You're not really saying much about Emily Brontes, so... Um... It, is the romance in Villette very different to the Wuthering Heights romance, which is very kind of tragic and dark? And Is it a
1: different kind of romance in Villette? It's it's different, but not as much as you might think. So, yes, it's not the horrible romance that you get in Wuthering yeah. Heights where they, they, they hate each other, actually. It's yeah. not that. But she doesn't right. like him. She doesn't like the professor. Oh, okay. And so still at the beginning, similar. she thinks he's, you know, he's an unpleasant sort of character. She doesn't find him attractive. She hates his personality and his looks and everything. But she, you know, basically through becoming accustomed to someone, you 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 fall in love with them, and that's that's yeah. kind of how the Brontes seem to view love in a, in a lot of their works. Right, it's okay. never it's never really a love at first sight Hollywood moment. You know, mm. it's it's through through knowing someone, you get to see past their flaws. And you get okay. to love the the person underneath and discover their gentler side, and it's a touching story. And uh, I flew through it; it was just a lovely, lovely, enjoyable read. But right. um, I do have one quote which I would like right. to read, just because it shows me um just the kind of the kind of book it is. So mm-hmm. let me see if I can grab my quote here. There is, despite being written by you know uh, a girl by a lady, uh-huh. there uh-huh. is um. Some old world, you know, sexism in it in, in the characters. Okay. So we have this: the professor's referring to women of intellect, which are, you know, his uh, enemy in a sense. In in quotes, "women of intellect" was his next theme. Here he was at home. a uh, quote, "woman of intellect." It appeared was a sort of luscious luscious nature. A luckless accident a thing for which there was neither place nor use in creation, wanted neither as wife nor worker. Beauty anticipated her in the first office. He believed in his soul that lovely, placid, and passive feminine mediocrity was the only pillow on which manly thought and sense could find rest for its aching temples. And as to work, the male mind alone could work to any good practical result. So it's interesting to put, you know, uh, this is the person that a female author has her mm. heroine fall in love with.
2: <laughs> mm. Strange, isn't it? Um, I, the only thing I think of is that at least, it's not like, it sounds like that um, Charlotte Brown is not necessarily, yeah, she's not saying, portraying him as ugly and brute, and the same with Heathcliff, he's also ugly and brute. But maybe they want to say that even in these flawed, broken up man, they can see something beautiful. And maybe the reader can see something beautiful in the professor after a while. I'm not sure, but um, it seems like to me not that Charlotte Brontë is like unaware of sexism, but the opposite, like very aware and making the professor and purpose like this. The same like Heathcliff and Woodring Heights by Emily Brontë, right? Oh yes, I mean, and of yeah, course yeah. we
1: do just we do discover a better side to the professor as as the novel goes on. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. The novel also features a girl who is the ultimate coquette. You know, she's going to inherit money from her rich uncle or something like that. So she just goes around and she, you know, borrowing money from people and she just wants fancy dresses and she wants all the men to fall in love with her so that she can deliberately cast them aside afterwards. And she kind of values her own worth as, you know, how many hearts can I break? And there's a very, very quick two line quote here where she's, but if he loves you as much as you say, and yet it comes to nothing in the end, he will be made miserable. Of course he will break his heart. I should be shocked and disappointed if he didn't. Like you know, her she just wants him to hurt because, for for no reason through through okay. no maliciousness, but just because um, that's how she kind of sees her own value as a, as a pretty girl. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like Shara
2: Brunto had a lot has a deep understanding also like also how flawed this girl is and So how flawed men of the time were. How flawed women of the time were. And it's something that sometimes lacks, maybe with male authors, even the classics, I sometimes don't get a deeper psychological portrait of, of characters and how f- sometimes characters are so two-dimensional, you know, especially, especially even in older literature, it's more of a for me, it is more of a modern thing, like maybe 200 years ago onwards, that people are focusing more on the psychological aspects. So it sounds
1: like I would like to read It It does sound very good.
2: Right, yeah. and what's, new, what's the other
1: book? The, the <laughs> other book is, um, well, I was just going to say quickly, if you want to yeah. read any Bronte, this is actually the one I would recommend above any of the famous ones. But okay. the last book, now I got swindled on this one. It's called The Vicomte de Bragellone. Okay. Uh, this is a Dumas book. It is the oh. third in the Three Musketeers series. Okay. And the reason I got swindled is because, you know, I had the first book. I read it. It's brilliant. Then I couldn't find the second one for a long time. So I had this third one sitting on my shelf. For months and I went to um, one of our favourite uh, places, oh. the Magic Bookshop Magic and I Bookshop. got on the ground and I crawled around for about two hours <laughs> with a hundred books all around me uh, They, you know, these they, we're talking books two or three metres high in stack oh, it's, four it's, deep there's a reason why we out.
2: call it there, I was just yeah. saying there's, to the listeners, there's a reason why we call it the Magic Bookshop it's literally uh, it's literally uh, the, the, one, the owner of the shop is a magician so he actually is a magician And he owns his bookshop that's just covered in bloody books everywhere. And it's a delight, but you really have to get like an excavation um, team sometimes to excavate (laughs) three, four rows of books everywhere and you can hardly move. And it's wonderful.
1: I was in a little dark corner with no lighting using the torch on my phone. You know, I must have had about 400 books all around the floor. And eventually I find the second one in the series and I read it and it was good. And I thought, brilliant. Now I can finally get to this third one after the anticipation so there's yeah. the third and final book in the no, in the trilogy or yeah. is it turns out the third book was so bloody long they had to release it in three volumes so i've got volume one
2: <laughs> right okay
1: oh my god so you see, what you see, so you have to look for volume two now of this i need two more and volumes three. yeah oh nightmare. my god but what this book i mean it's it's poorly titled it's not about the vicomte de Braglione at all i mean maybe in the second and third parts it is but in the part I've read, he's basically a minor character. And then you know, maybe in the last hundred pages, he starts to become more major. Okay. Um, but essentially what this is about is D'Artagnan, who's the, the hero of the whole you know, Three Musketeers series. Yeah. And um, it's about him. It's not so much about the other Musketeers. Um, so just to give you a quick breakdown of the, of the, the Three Musketeers, you've got Athos, who's a little bit uh-huh. older than the others. He's very respected. He's the fatherly figure to D'Artagnan. Uh, He doesn't really speak all that much, but he can handle his food. He can handle his booze. He's wise. And when he says, you know, this is what we're going to do, they listen. He's very respected. Then you've got Porthos, who's a big, muscly brute of a guy. But he's not just, he's not the most intelligent, but he's not your silly brute either. He's aristocratic, and he loves his fancy clothes, and he has so many different titles after all the different estates that he owns. As you would, yeah, sure. And then you've got Aramis who doesn't really want to be a musketeer. He wants to be a priest. Um, But he's also, you know, very lucky with the ladies, and he has to hide that because it's not really what he should be doing as a a priest, you know. But he's um, constantly having affairs with, you know, aristocrats' wives and things. Right, quite a a group, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in this novel, Porthos and Aramis appear once for maybe, you know, one or two chapters, and then they disappear. They haven't had a big stance in this novel, but we do see a lot of Athos and, of course, um, the, the principal character, D'Artagnan himself. Okay. It's not nice to see them not working together. I wanted to see the three, you know, D'Artagnan and the three musketeers, one for all and all for one. You don't get as much of that in this novel. Um, it's essentially, the first 300 pages could be a standalone book. Okay. And then it just kind of goes on and on and it gets a bit strange. Um, right, we, so we lose it plus. see yeah i mean there's a beautiful little plot that just finishes nicely um it's essentially about charles ii trying to retake his throne these are all oh. set in history so in the previous book we see the death of charles i and now we see charles ii trying to retake his throne and he goes to paris to the louvre to speak to um the king there um But the king there is, you know, 20 years old, he's young, he's not experienced, and he has no power, because all the power is concentrated in the hands of the cardinal. Uh, And the cardinal keeps telling him, well, you can't do anything, you're poor. you've got no money. You can't help him, you can't even help yourself. But secretly, the cardinal's got, like, you know, 60 million uh, livres put away. Of course he does, yeah. And there's a nice quote here from the cardinal, pretending how poor they are. Okay. Um, And... I'll just read this. It's very good. They say, and what exactly, sorry, and that is exactly what I am not willing to do, my dear sire. If England were to act exactly according to my wishes, she could not act better than she does. If I directed the policy of England from this place, I should not direct it otherwise. Governed as she is governed, England is an infernal nest of contention for all of Europe, and that hasn't changed even today. Holland protects Charles II. Let Holland do so. They will quarrel. They will fight. They are the only two maritime powers. Let them destroy each other's navies. We can construct ours with the wrecks of their vessels if we ever have enough money to buy nails. But actually, yeah, yeah, sixty that's million true. put away. <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy. But he's always maintaining this illusion that they're poor, you know. If
2: we've got the nails, yeah, okay. Because he wants it. the money
1: for himself. Even on his deathbed, he's like, no, but it's it's my money. The king's not getting it.
2: <laughs> All right. Oh, um, so okay. there's a
1: nice there's a nice story about that and that you know that takes 300 pages and that's lovely and then we have um the viscount himself whose name is Raoul and he basically fancies a girl and wants to marry her and that's okay. pretty much his entire involvement in this novel um, and okay. the main character really is always d'Artagnan. and it's just his adventures and um, getting involved with kings and queens in france and in england um, but I'm really looking forward to reading the next the next part because it just stops there's no there's no end you know, oh, it just no. stops suddenly and I have to wait for a year is probably to find that there's something that's <laughs> ridiculous. I think I might have to give up and buy it online I think I can't you might, when you want something very specific it's hard to rely on the magic bookshop sometimes you know? sometimes the magic bookshop only gives you the magic
2: when when it's unasked for it, you know what I mean? It's just You can't just go there expecting it to just fulfill your you wishes. Can,
1: you can walk in and leave an hour later with 30 books. But if yeah. you go in looking for one very specific book, you might never find it.
2: <laughs> might never find it, yeah. It's not destined quite now. Um, I, mean, I mean, to be honest, though, people always say that, oh, you, you know, so the books are out. So imagine you've got a series of like six or five books and you need to read them all at once. But if you just want to actually, but if you want to be like genuine historically, you might as well just wait the amount of years it's taken the original author to publish the novels, and just have the original experience. You know, it's it's probably t- how long did it take? Like t- ten years or something to write those. Yeah, they were all written novel? a good
1: few years apart, so I think it's you're right. That's a more a more genuine experience. You know?
2: Yeah, it's just everyone's become so greedy, I man. What's the greed for? Because you can also look forward to it. You know? Um
1: there's one thing I want to I want to just step back a little because I neglected yeah. to say one thing about Villette. Um, right. And that is that the only criticism I had of the novel, because I made it sound really good, but I do have one criticism. Yeah. It is full, especially in the second half of religion. And there's a lot okay. of Protestant versus Catholic stuff. And being from Northern Ireland, I'm just sick of that. And I don't want that in my novel. Uh, yeah. and it's, it's sad that they put that in there.
2: They can't um, help uh, forcing kind of ideology. I,
1: I mean, I, I understand, you know, it's... It was a it was prevalent a- issue at the time, and obviously the Bronte homelands like 20 minutes from here, so there are ties and everything. But I, I just don't know. I don't know why we need yeah, that. No, I get it. And the the second side of the criticism is that Charlotte likes to show off that she knew French, and <laughs> um, so a lot of the time there's just you know entire paragraphs in French for no reason.
2: But and you know that you know that Tolstoy did that as well, especially with War and Peace, more than Anna Karenina. So basically, it's, it's a little that- bit in
1: Anna Karenina, yeah.
2: And War and Peace, I believe even more because it's um, basically Russians reading those, those novels back in the um, so whatever 1860s. Um, basically, the idea is that first of all, Tolstoy tried to make realistic, so the so the Russians, the Russian aristocrats actually did write letters to each other in French and talk to each other in French sometimes. But also, like you know, you can't read this novel unless you're kind of something snobbish about. It. You can't read War and Peace unless you're a bit more than just a Russian kind of farmer. Yeah. But
1: was very you, It makes yeah. sense in the case of Anna Karenina, because it's important that the French know how to correctly manage their farms as well. Well, it's very important, I believe. Uh, they made an, you
2: made a very good point. So now the French can do it, yeah. So but you know what, what
1: I will say in, in Charlotte's defense... When I read Emily's Wuthering Heights, they have something even less understandable to me than the French. Because I could, you know, I could sort of understand a bit of what was going on in the French. (laughs) They have um, rural English. (laughs) Right, yeah. The Wuthering Heights is a lot of Yorkshire, you know, people speaking in in some kind of farmer country tongue. And I couldn't understand a word of it. So I actually prefer the French. Okay, fair enough. you You can see now as a positive thing. But That's good. What we're gonna do next, sir, is we'll do our recommendation for the month. Um, but before uh, we do that, we do need to have a word from our sponsors. Indeed. our corporate sponsor this month is Hungry Hungry Hypocrites. Do you remember this game, sir? It's I, a little I do, it's a little I, game with hippos. You can get versions with frogs, you I, know, off brand versions.
2: But there was something fake about them, wasn't there? So I mean, yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah. so Well, this is Hungry Hungry Hypocrites, and instead of hippos or frogs or whatever version you had, it's some of the world's leading hypocrites. Uh, So Trump's in there, for example, you know, people, um, they're going to eat the pellets and show you how to be capitalists and and take all the wealth for themselves. Right, okay. So Hungry Hungry Hypocrites, you can actually order that. It's orders at hungryhypocrites.gov. And if you do it right right now, it's on a special buy none, get none offer. You don't buy it, you don't get it. All right, okay. Well, I've got to click on it right now, right? Get it, Jesus. let's do it, yeah. great offer. That's a great offer. A PJ, great offer. Yeah. In addition to our corporate sponsors, what? we a- are yeah. always supported by the listener. Now, we don't have the Patreons or the PayPals, but what you can do to support the show is just take a check and right on there, where you've got your dollar sign or your pound sign or your euro, you just put life savings, in the amount, and you just post that to um, Books Boys at the Grand Library, P.O. Box Books, and just send that directly to us, in and you can world, help yeah. to support the show. And oh, as, yeah. a, as a massive thank you, PJ, what do they get? They get access to our bonus content, the Ufanda Boys. Who the
2: boys that's right no one can get that unless they give us our, you know a life saving
1: scent or something very precious who the boys is going to be the new monthly show exclusive for it's our donors a sh- it's a word for word second by second remake of this show but we both wear very pretty scarves during the recording process and it's something else guys so, i mean now, I, we should tell the, we shouldn't let anyone know that you're wearing a scarf actually now because then I, I the donors are getting uh, swindled
2: yeah, I know, but no one can see it, so it's only, like, basically, basically, guys, whoever can, only Dean can see me right now, so it's a very confidential sort of thing. So if you want to have that extra confidence, like, if you, if you want to feel like the books boys are your best mates, then just get this show so you can see us wearing scarves and feel that extra bit of confidence.
1: We do have and, one listener, actually, with us live in the in the video recording. It's Apollo. He's just a little statuette of Apollo just watching the show live. Privilege. Well, I- as
2: as he would, I would hope. I'm glad he's there today, because he wasn't there last time, the cheeky bollocks, you know what I
1: mean? He wasn't, but now he's here, and uh, he's not going to come on the show, but he did tell me uh, what he'd been reading this month, was of course the Citadets, uh, History of the Peloponnesian War, that's what Apollo has been reading this month.
2: Has he you know, Because last time I caught him, last time I caught him reading Stephen King in the bathroom, so I don't think, you know what I mean? I think he's a bit of a chancer, I think he likes uh, it, but to pretend he's on to lecture and all that stuff. Mm, that I'm lets reading,
1: me down, that's disappointing.
2: I saw him reading Misery the other day, yeah. Shakespeare, yeah. Kind of between, between like a big pamphlet of like old writing. I was kind of just reading misery. Mm.
1: Yeah, she gave him, yeah. One more thing. Did you know that the listeners can email booksboys at hotmail.com and what they can do is, in mm-hmm. just one, you know, to one or two sentences, tell us what they're reading this month, and I yeah. will pick one at random, and I will send them in the mail a free mystery book from my bounteous bookshelves, the estanteria <laughs> of doom that is very generous team that's very generous yeah, i think that's a lovely really thing. random book if you ever thought to yourself can i give my address my postal address to a stranger and have him post me a book that i will not like <laughs> you can now do that get it okay here. email well, your at you're, hotmail.com you are fulfilling someone's
2: dreams so i mean someone's. great job
1: but mostly great. i'm just curious to know what the listeners are reading and to get their recommendation
2: yeah so tell us guys what are you reading Apart from catalogs and TV guides, what are you reading? Get out, get out the old book. You more or less know what it is by now. Just get out any old book and tell us if you liked it, tell us if you hated it, tell us any thoughts you have about that odd little format called book where worlds and universes are contained and kept alive.
1: Now do you know when I was in Egypt I went to a papyrus making workshop to see how they made papyrus oh, I but what I, know I don't that. know what I don't know is the more modern things I don't know how we bind our books I don't know how we print them in the printing yeah. press so yeah. I need to do my research PJ Yeah no, actually to be honest like that's that's kind of important right you just take it off for granted. it is a pretty
2: incredible concept that you can have um, you can have basically a tree and out of the tree you make you contain stories it's a bizarre notion like let's be honest here it's a bizarre notion that you can just write stories and contain them for for ages in a pack of 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 leaves
1: now that's bizarre it's insane let's get to our final segment what do we recommend not necessarily from what we've been reading lately but our general recommendation from our old favorites mine has to be one i've already talked about so i'm not going to go into detail but my recommendation has to be the original Three Musketeers by, mm. by Dumas. It is one of the best books I've ever read. It makes 600 pages feel like 200. You just fly through it in three days. It's just incredibly addictive. It's a real page-turner. It's a classic in the swashbuckling genre. It's mm. ultra-romantic. It's just guys going around. You bump into me in the street, I will fight you to the death. And <laughs> that,
2: that's, then, that's, very,
1: yeah, that's very Don Quixotean.
2: Isn't it? I mean, that's, it's that's, what yeah, it
1: is. that's what he does. But what I love is the honor, the chivalry, yeah. because when you're at, about to die, they say, do you yield? Yes. And then they pick them up and they are best friends. And they say, look, sir, you dropped your money. I'm not here to rob you. Just kill you. You know, take your money on you go. Have a good day. Or if right. someone says, well, I can't fight you. I'm injured. They say, well, come back when you're healthy. Like, I wouldn't want to fight someone who's injured. It's got to be a fair fight. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of honor and chivalry, you
2: know? Yeah that's so, that's so, Cahalty, and honestly, like, if you read this, I think I'll read um, this soon afterwards because it does that. He just, there's a sense of honor and pride, and that's very kind of sweet, you know? But especially nowadays in such a
1: valueless society, you kind of appreciate that.
2: And no one does yeah. that.
1: Now. There's no gentleman anymore, you know?
2: In a society that break.
1: only values money, it was shocking to me that these four friends would just, you know, they never really had much money, and when they got some, they divided yeah. it between them. They yeah. never. It wasn't all about me, and it was really nice to see that. Yeah, it's awesome, dude. Uh,
2: well, I've got to recommend something. I, uh, well, I, I don't think I don't think you're going to read this, Dean. I've told you about this before, but I think it should be mentioned here because graphic novels and novels for my for me are still uh, stories. Anything is a story, basically. And mm-hmm. I really recommend for you if you ever want to if you ever want to go to the graphic novel section. Go and get something called Dylan Dog, which sounds ridiculous, actually the name, and it's not is named after Dylan Thomas, by the way, not Bob Dylan—and it's basically a, a series of comics that started in the 80s, an Italian series of comics, and it's very hard to get in translation. But if you can, or, or if you know Italian, then please read it because they're essentially supernatural horror comics, but there's so much more than that. They're so sometimes so incredibly cynical and also at the same time incredibly philosophical it will blow your mind actually the stories and the artwork in it and i just recommend it it's 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 as sublime it's like it's as sublime 80s as you can get but not the cheesy 80s which i also do like this is just like the proper get the horror movie atmosphere and turn it into a proper philosophical treatise and that's actually just a comic that they sold for very cheap, uh, by the way. It wasn't like any it wasn't like an art kind of uh, thing. Mm. but they just get to read any of those comics and you just have an amazing story that keeps with you with some philosophical themes All, always always death related, but also love and life and consumerism and hate. And, so this
1: is an intelligent philosophical comic book, so something similar philosophy. to the the spider
2: mans right? A, a very similar to Spider-Man Dean. I can hear a note of cynicism in your voice Dean. I've tried to I've tried to say this before it is do not listen to Dean this is worth it get it Dylan Dog uh, it's also readable online and um, yeah and if you can in the original Italian, it, it's just great. it's Ooh. the bees and knees do not listen to my compatriots, uh, Dean and his cynical view of that eighth arts or ninth arts called comic um,
1: I'm just I'm just a big fan of Batman versus Superman you know me that's, I, 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 I know like that.
2: I know it's your favorite film. Yeah, you go, you go on about it every week. So there you go. Garbage. So I get
1: it, guys. Um, <laughs> what a garbage movie. Because I don't know, I don't know how they're versing each other. I don't know if they're fighting, if they're playing chess. I, I, don't know I, ha- I, I, I bet they don't even verse each other. I bet they team up. But look, there's yeah. one other thing I wanted to do, PJ. Before we go, I wanted to yeah. give you a recommendation, not oh. for a book, but oh. for a podcast. I think you would like it. Uh, you can check this out on YouTube, and all the listeners can as well. It's a new show called uh, "Priests Who Listen to Jazz," and you can actually what? hear these three priests, you know, just having a chat, having a bit of crack, and right? playing their favorite jazz music. And I think Jesus. it's right up your alley.
2: Okay, well, look, I gotta check it out. It's priests who listen to jazz, eh? Okay. All right. Well, I'll check it out. And is it, is it is it is the jazz good or is it kind of like a bit kind of conservative kind of jazz, you know?
1: No, the but, jazz is good. The jazz is good. I right, yeah, had yeah. some Terry some yes. Como in there, which was good, but there's a oh. good range of stuff. There's some uh, some Kieran Burke in there sometimes. You might have Oh, heard
2: he's, him. A, he's a classic, Kieran Burke. You should listen out to him, guys. Yeah. All right. I'll check it out. Thanks for the recommendation. Dude. Cool. So awesome.
1: let's take us out. I think we've gone a little bit over time. Let's After. end. How do you feel about playing Naked Woman on a lick to close the well, show? Well, I like the title, I have to to admit, and uh, I think we should play it. Now, do you want to give us a quick 10-second history on this one? This was a song you made based on a poem you made based on a painting I made, right? Very complex,
2: right? Yeah, (laughs) so basically, for all you listeners, uh, Dean and I, we've collaborated a lot throughout the years. And one thing we're also going to publish in the near future, hopefully, uh, rather, rather than the far future, is that we're going to publish an art book with our paintings, sorry, with his paintings and my poems. And it started, off, it started off with me doing a poem about a palm tree and then you painting it. And then we just interchangeably, whoever's inspired, someone writes a poem, I write a poem, and then you do the painting or vice versa. You do the painting, I do the poem. And in this case, you made a great painting, very sort of almost like Oriental, I feel like, of a woman basically uh, on a lake or like in a lake. It's more like on a lake. And there's like a, and then there's a deer. There's something very Japanese almost about it, kind of, and um, or Buddhist. And I just was inspired to write this short poem, and which then turned into a song. So this is, this is uh, our song, and it comes from our future art book. So to give you a bit of insight.
1: Guys, check us out online. Email us your recommendations. Tell your friends about the show. And most importantly, come on back next month for another episode of Books Boys.
0: Of you on a lake, naked, tanning nothing fake. Gently your hair, and your face, except your eyes, which showed a dreamt of you on a lake, naked, tanning nothing fake. Gently your hair, and your face, except your eyes, showed, which showed faith. I dreamt of you on a lake, naked, telling nothing fake. Gently, your hair your face except Your eyes were showed with your faith. <laughs> Embrace. I dreamt of you on a lake, naked, turning nothing fake. Gently, your hair, your face, except your eyes. Wish show faith. In a daze, it all floated slowest pace. My dream that we both embrace. I dreamt of you on a lake, naked tanning, nothing fake. Gently your head, your face, except. Your eyes were showed. I dreamt of you on a lake, naked, tanning, nothing fake. Gently, your hair, your face, except your eyes, which showed faith.
1: Books Boys was presented by The Dean and PJ Burke. In association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah! This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Hungry Hungry Hypocrites. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.blogspot.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trap Door. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either pod safe or used with permission. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! EJ, I'm not sure about this. I think we messed up. I think we should have done the other option. We should have explained to them about the creation of the printing press. I think it would have been much more entertaining than just talking about the books we've read. I don't know.